This week, we're talking about achieving ultimate sharpness, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. It is so cool how many of you are making this show a part of your day. Maybe it's a part of your commute. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones and you're on your way to shoot somewhere. It is really cool how many people are sharing and saying nice things about this show. So thank you guys so much. I'm really grateful for all of you that have taken the time to leave a positive review and subscribe to the show. This week, we're giving away a couple copies of my astrophotography post-processing course. Thank you to everyone that took the time to share the show on social media. And the two that are gonna be winning the post-processing course are Benaru Ben, thank you very much, and Dean Vinzen. You guys are awesome. Thank you for taking the time to share the show. Also, I want to announce that I've just launched my new tutorial, mastering luminosity masks. If you're interested in learning more about how to use luminosity masks, I demonstrate exactly what a luminosity mask is, how you create them, and then I show all the different ways that I personally use luminosity masks in my workflows. The videos are getting really great reviews, and if you're interested in that, you can always find my tutorials at nickpagephotography.com or landscapephotographypodcast.com. So if luminosity masks are of interest, you might want to check those out while they're on sale. Okay, so with that, let's sit back, relax, and jump into this week's episode. I think most of us landscape photographers are addicted to a couple things. We're addicted to really dramatic, cool light, the big epic sunset, the big storm clouds, and we're addicted to sharpness. We go to great lengths for sharpness, more so than any other genre of photography, I think. We are obsessed with either getting that really deep depth of field where we get everything in focus, or we're buying that new lens because it's just got 5% more sharpness in the corners. We go to great lengths for sharpness. It's one of those things that we obsess about. So today we're going to talk about different things to achieve ultimate sharpness. So the number one question that comes up anytime that you're talking about sharpness, especially with landscape photographers that are in their first year or two is, okay, I have this scene in front of me. Where do I focus? Where do I put my focus point? And the answer, like so many other answers before it are, it depends. It totally depends on the scene. Before we get too deep into uh, that kind of thing, let's talk a little bit of physics and mechanics when it comes to focusing with lenses. So different focal lengths produce different depths of field. So wide angle lenses produce a deeper depth of field than a telephoto lens. That's why telephoto lenses are so popular with portrait photographers. A 70 to 200 f2.8 is able to produce really, really shallow depth of field, which is amazing for portraits, not always amazing for landscapes. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, a wide angle lens is really good at getting everything in focus, but not so good at portraits and producing that shallow depth of field. So wide angle lenses always produce a deeper depth of field. Also, the type of camera that you're using, the size of the sensor in that camera has a large part to do with how much depth of field you have. If you're shooting a full frame camera, DA10, Sony A7R2, 5D Mark IV, whatever, those are going to produce a much shallower depth of field than a crop sensor or a micro four thirds sensor. The smaller the sensor is, the more easy it is to get everything in focus. If you think about your cell phone, 
It's got a tiny little sensor and it's really good at just producing everything sharp and in focus because the sensor is so small. The next main variable in your depth of field is the size of your aperture. So a very small opening in your lens, meaning f16, f18, f20, f22, those are going to produce much deeper depth of field. And for shallow depth of field, you want a nice wide open aperture like f2.8, f1.4, or whatever. That's why taking control of your camera settings is so amazingly important is because there's a lot of artistic decision in the settings that your camera is using. And then there's one more variable and that is the distance from your lens that you are focusing on. So for example, let's envision scene number one. Scene number one is mountain in background, flowers in foreground. The closer I get my camera to the very first flower, the shallower my depth of field is going to get. If I'm standing up full height and pointing my camera down and putting that flower four feet away, F16 is going to produce everything tack sharp. But as I get closer to that flower, as, as I bring my camera 10 inches and then six inches away, when I focus on that flower, that mountain is going to get further and further out of focus because my depth of field is getting less and less and less and less because I'm focusing closer to the camera. This is why the situation matters so much because if we envision scene number two where I'm standing on the edge of a cliff and the closest thing to my camera is let's say 500 feet away at the other side of this big ravine, if it's just this big overlook, it is very easy to achieve enough depth of field because nothing is close to my camera, nothing is really close to my lens. Therefore, my lens is most likely going to be focused at infinity. And at that point, I don't need to try very hard to get enough depth of field. I could probably shoot that at F4 and have everything still perfectly tack sharp. So the distance from your camera that the first main subject of your photo is has great impact on the amount of depth of field you have. It's a very difficult thing to describe uh, through audio, but hopefully you can envision that the closer the first subject is, the more difficult it is to achieve depth of field. In comes something called hyperfocal distance. So hyperfocal distance is basically a scientific nerd term <laughs> where uh, basically it's the place that you can focus where everything will be in theory acceptably sharp. And I'm doing air quotes when I say acceptably sharp because let's for example envision scene number one if I am really close to the flower, let's say six inches away, the hyperfocal distance is actually going to have me focus a little bit beyond that flower, probably a foot or two. I don't have a hyper distance uh, calculator in front of me, but I'm guessing it would probably ask me to focus about a foot or a foot and a half, which would be like 10 inches beyond the flower. And it's basically this happy medium where both the flower and the mountain should be acceptably sharp. And acceptably sharp is, is the kicker word there because it's not going to be tack sharp because I'm not focusing on it. It's going to be acceptably sharp. Now, if I was to stand upright and be further away from the foreground and then use a hyperfocal distance calculator, most likely the results would be good. They would be just fine because I'm not as close to that first subject. So if you're somebody that's trying really hard to just get in one shot, you don't want to do any kind of focus stacking or anything like that, hyperfocal distance calculators are going to be a method to get it all acceptably sharp in one shot. I feel like it's a bigger pain than it's worth. The amount of time I, it takes me to bust out my phone and to calculate the hyperfocal distance 
I can do a focus stack later on in post-processing and get much better results in that same amount of time. We'll talk more about focus stacking later in the show. But a good rule of thumb, assuming that you're not too crazy close to your sub, your first subject is, is if you focus a third of the way into your frame, you typically the bottom third into your frame. If you envision cutting your frame into three slices, you know, the rule of thirds, right along that bottom line is going to be right about where you typically want to focus. And assuming that you're using a small enough aperture, you're probably going to get everything acceptably sharp. But you always want to make sure, no matter what, when you have a landscape, you want to make sure that that first main subject in your photo is sharp and in focus because the eye is going to go straight to that first main subject. Envision scene number one where we have wildflowers in our foreground. If I focus on the mountain in the background and those flowers in the foreground are not sharp, it is going to be really annoying to the, the viewer that the first thing they look at is out of focus. And it's just going to make the whole scene feel out of focus. So in that situation, it would feel much better to have those flowers sharp and to have that mountain that's in the background of your sharp, like, man, it's kind of out of focus, but, but it's the background. So it's okay for it to be a little bit out of focus, as long as our main subject that we are close to is nice and sharp, because the eye is going to go straight to those flowers and you need to make sure that those flowers are going to be sharp. Now let's envision a telephoto landscape. Let's say we're, we're doing a forest scene where there's just lots of depth in this forest and we're using, let's say, 150 millimeters, a nice long focal length to kind of compress all the trees together. Where you focus is going to be incredibly important in this situation because it's going to be very difficult to get enough depth of field to have everything in focus. You might be able to do it. It depends on how close that first tree is to you. If it's all fairly far away, it's not going to be as bad. But if that first tree is close to you and you're focusing on that, it's going to be very difficult to get everything sharp. So this is a situation where you're, you're going to have to decide a couple things. Okay, what is my main subject and how important is it to have everything sharp? For me, like if you're not able to get everything sharp or maybe getting everything sharp will make for a more distracting photo, maybe it's not a bad thing to go ahead and use a shallow depth of field. Sometimes deep depth of field is overrated. It's definitely, in my opinion, overused because every single landscape photographer does it. And I mean, there, there are great reasons to have deep depth of field and have everything sharp. One of those reasons is that there's just lots for the viewer to look at. The more sharp that everything is, the more that the person is going to take time to look at the entire photo. Maybe they'll see those flowers in the foreground and then they'll notice the, the cool grasses in the midground. And then they start looking at the mountain and there's just lots for the eye to look at because there is so much sharp and in focus. But if we take that same shot with a shallow depth of field and all that is in focus are those flowers, the eye is going to look at the flowers and be like, ah, cool, pretty, and not really do anything after that. If you have a shot where you want the viewer to see everything, then deep depth field is going to be the best choice. But if you have a really busy, a really noisy, distracting scene, like a forest, sometimes a shallow depth of field can simplify it and you can come away with a successful photo where maybe a deep depth of field would have just made for a more distracting photo because, you know, there's just too much to look at. And that, that's, that's a very real thing anytime that you're in a forest. 
sometimes forest scenes are really hard to compose because there's just so much, there's so much going on. They're so busy and it's very difficult to find that main subject sometimes. But when you do find that main subject, maybe you'll be better served with a shallow depth of field. Now, if this is one of those situations where you decide I need ultimate sharpness, I need sharpness from front, the very first thing to the very back thing. And I can't do it with this long focal length. Now comes focus stacking. Okay, so focus stacking is where you are set up on a tripod and basically you take multiple photos focused at different depths into your shot to where you are focused on the first thing and then you take several photos focusing deeper in the scene and then you have a shot where you're focused on the background. You take those five to ten photos or however many over into Photoshop and then you tell Photoshop, hey, I want to do a focus stack and basically it picks the sharpest pixels from each shot and blends them together. The result is a photo that is sharp from front to back, even when the physics of your lens cannot possibly do that. So when I'm getting really down close to my foreground, whether it's flowers or like mud cracks in Death Valley or something like that, I am doing a focus stack where I focus on the closest thing to my camera and then I focus a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper until I'm focused on the background. And then I take them into Photoshop, I align them, I blend them, and then I end up with this photo that is perfectly sharp from front to back. It's really nice for those telephoto scenes as well because it's so hard to achieve deep depth of field with them. But with focus stacking, you can make it happen. Now, another reason focus stacking can be so cool is that all lenses kind of perform better, typically in the middle of their aperture range, typically from like f7.1 to f11 somewhere in there is going to be what's called their sweet spot where they just produce the highest quality sharpest images and then as you get beyond that f11 as you get into f16 f18 f20 f22 some lenses even go to f32 when you get into those f22 and beyond aperture ranges you get into something that's called diffraction all lenses are a little bit different in this. Expensive lenses are not quite as bad with diffraction. Cheap lenses are really, really bad with it. Diffraction is basically your image gets soft. As you stop down that hole to a certain size, it just ruins your image quality. So what's cool about focus stacking is that you can use apertures like F11, you know, maybe F13, whatever, and you can achieve deep depth of field through focus stacking, but still use the sharpest parts of your lens. You know, if you're really obsessed with sharpness, you can take it to the next level and use your lens where it performs the best and then make up for the, the shortcomings of the physics through focus stacking. And you can end up with deep depth of field that way. Deep depth of field is also incredibly handy anytime that you get really close to your subject. So, you know, I was using a, an analogy of a wide angle lens with a flower and a mountain, but now imagine that you're using a hundred millimeter macro lens and you're photographing a fly. Now, when you get that close, because you're inches away, you know, maybe one or two inches and you have a long focal length, deep depth of field is a serious problem. If you've ever tried doing any kind of macro work, when you, it doesn't matter what aperture you stop down to, depth of field becomes an issue. And focus stacking basically comes from macro photography where you have to focus stack in order to get, you know, more than just the eyelash of that fly in focus. So focus stacking helps tremendously anytime you're using a long focal length or you're really close to your main subject. But when it comes to where to focus into your scene, 
Tip A is focus a third of the way into the frame. Tip B is it totally depends on how close you are to your main subject. So the closer you are to your main subject, the shallower your depth of field is going to be. Maybe you should start thinking about focus stacking. If you are in that situation where you're standing on the edge of a cliff and everything is far away from you, there's no need to shoot at F18 or F20 because you don't need to work hard to achieve enough depth of field. You might as well use your lens around F8 or F11 where you're going to get the sharpest results. And probably the most important thing when you're deciding where to focus is that you need to make sure that that first main subject in your photo is sharp and in focus, is acceptably sharp and in focus. If you focus a little bit beyond it and you're shooting at F18 and you're not too close, that's going to be fine, but you just need to make sure that whatever that main subject is in your photo that is closest to your camera, when a person looks at it, it looks sharp. It doesn't look out of focus because an out of focus foreground is officially the most annoying thing in landscape photography. There are other things that can affect sharpness. Like we kind of talked about, most lenses have a sweet spot when it comes to what aperture you use. If you have the ability to shoot at F8, F11, and you're getting enough depth of field with that, always go with that if you can, if you're in the right situation. And if you're on a tripod, typically shutter speeds don't matter as much. But there are times when shutter speed still matters. For example, just because you are on a tripod does not necessarily mean that things are other than your camera are not moving. If you're photographing trees in the wind and the limbs are blowing around and you use a long shutter speed, you're going to end up with blurry trees. It's not your fault, but you need to keep that in mind and do what you need to do to make sure that you come away with not blurry trees. Blurry trees, kind of annoying. Same is true like when you're shooting around waterfalls, you're kind of looking for that smoky smooth water and you, you take that shot and you don't notice that all the bushes or the limbs on the bushes or the leaves on the trees are blowing around. You don't really want that either. So one of the things that I'll do if I'm in a situation like that where I'm shooting on a tripod is I'll take that ISO 100 longer shutter speed shot and then I'll, I'll look around and make sure that nothing is moving. And if I am getting blurry leaves or blurry tree limbs or something, I will speed up my shutter speed to what it needs to be to freeze those limbs. It depends on how fast they're moving. And I'll count how many clicks it takes to get there. So let's say shooting a fifth of a second and I need to speed up my shutter speed to roughly one, one hundredth of a second. I'll count how many clicks it takes me to get there. And then I'll compensate with either my aperture or my ISO or a mixture of both. And that way I can come away with a shot of the same exposure value, just at a higher ISO and a faster shutter speed. And then I can use Photoshop to blend those together. If you're not a Photoshop user though, you just need to make sure that you're using a shutter speed that's fast enough to freeze those limbs or to freeze those leaves so you can get nice sharp leaves. Also, if you're not shooting on a tripod, if you're shooting handheld, keep your shutter speeds up. It's just like any other type of photography. You don't want to introduce handshake into the mix, especially if you're in a situation where you need lots of depth of field anyways. That means you're going to be using F16 or something. And then that means that you're really pushing how slow of a shutter speed you can go with and you can get into blurry shots really fast. So that's why tripods are your friend is because you don't really have to worry about handshake anymore. Also, one other thing that can affect your sharpness is some lenses just do not operate properly on a tripod when you have image stabilization turned on. 
So as a rule, typically I just always turn it off. And I know there's like back and forth of like, well, some Canon lenses, you don't have to turn the image stabilization off. Some you do. It doesn't really matter to me. I just turn them all off anyway. So if you have image stabilization, most times you're going to be much better off to turn it off anytime you're on a tripod. Unless you're in one of those situations where your tripod is even blowing around. And sometimes Im image stabilization can actually stabilize your tripod for you. So getting back to focus stack, and I just want to quickly give you a brief description as to how to do it. If you've never done a focus stack, this is how. You take your photos, you import them into a single stack inside of Photoshop. So if you're in Lightroom, you just select all your photos, right click, open as layers in Photoshop. You select all of your different photos. And because of something called focus breathing, you're going to have to align all of those. So you select them all, you go up to edit, auto align layers, and that's going to compensate for all of that focus breathing that happened as you changed where you focused with your lens. And then with all of those still selected, you go up to edit, auto blend layers. And then that's going to look at all of those different images and only use the sharpest, most in-focused pixels from each. Sometimes it gets it right. Sometimes it gets it wrong. Photoshop is kind of hit and miss. But for the average user, Photoshop is good enough for focus stacking. So talking about sharpness does not end with the stuff that you do in camera at the time of capture. Sharpening after the fact is very, very important. It depends on whether you're going to print or going to be posting on the web, how exactly you do it. But sharpening a RAW file is a very important thing because RAW files are very much not sharp. The preview that you see on the back of your camera is sharpened. Just to get it back to the sharpness that you saw on the back of your camera, you're going to have to add some sharpness. It used to be that I added all of my sharpening inside of Lightroom, and I still do for a lot of my portrait work. But for landscape photography, I much, much prefer the sharpening that I can do inside of Photoshop as opposed to Lightroom. Photoshop has a bunch of different ways to, that you can add sharpening. Uh, everything from high pass filters to smart sharpen and you can use layer mask to only add sharpening to the areas that you want to sharpen and you just have full control so sharpening inside of Photoshop is definitely the way to go anytime that you are familiar with Photoshop so I do all of my for web sharpening with through TK actions web sharpening that's Tony Kuiper's actions it's a luminosity mask creation tool uh, but the web sharpening section I really really like and it's basically just using the resharp is basically just using the resize and sharpen technique and all that is is where you take a copy of your file copy it to a new file and resize it for the output that you're going to do so for me I export everything at 2048 pixels on the wide side because that's what Facebook likes and then you add some sharpening and typically it's a smart sharpening the sharpening that you can do inside of Photoshop is just really, really nice because smart sharpening is really good about sharpening details, but not empty pixels. And sometimes Lightroom, eh, it's more like dumb sharpening. So there's a couple different panels that I really like for sharpening. One is TK Actions, Tony Kuiper's Actions. The other is actually from Steve Perry. It's just a set of actions. I'll put a link in the show notes over at Landscape Photography Podcast to that as well as the video that he has describing how to use it. In general, I just much, much prefer smart sharpening inside of Photoshop than I do Lightroom's sharpening. So sharpening for the web is very different than sharpening for print. Sharpening for the web, typically you want a fairly aggressive sharpening. And sharpening for print, I tend to not go quite as overboard because a lot of times my prints are going to be very large and people are going to be able to get close 
they can see some of the grain from the sharpening if you overdo it. So I back off on my sharpening for print. And the reason I prefer Photoshop is because you can be so much more selective about what and where you're sharpening rather than in Lightroom where you have an adjustment brush with just some kind of generic sharpening that you can add. Or you can use the masking slider which still doesn't give you quite the control that you need. Photoshop is definitely the way to go for your output sharpening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. Remember that if you're interested in any of my tutorials, you can find those over at nickpagephotography.com or landscapephotographypodcast.com. And that's where you can find the show notes for this episode and see some of those links that I referred to. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.